Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me. With me, as always, prescription sunglasses in tow, Brandon Jarrell Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Oh, happy day when Roman left. When Roman left. Okay. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, man. Is this what happens when you go to open mic night? <laughs> Mike is referring to uh, me stretching my uh, stand-up muscles, but I did not tonight. Uh, I just saw a bunch of bad stand-up, which is common at an open mic night. Uh, have you frequented any comedy clubs recently? No, I, I have never really. I mean, I've been to comedy clubs before. Like, I've been to Second City in Chicago and some of the big ones, but I haven't frequented because that's like something you enjoy doing, right? Like, you are someone who has been on stage and done stand-up before and actually likes the craft. Yes, I appreciate the craft, and I also like like it get it butchered. I, I like the attempt. I like people to go up there with no punchlines. I, I like the the one liners. I just love it all. But it was it left a bad taste in my mouth, and it just inspired me to get up and 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 write the shit myself, Mike. So February, I got two shows booked already. Come see me if you're in Sarasota. Uh, we'll talk about that later on in the podcast. You got it. what you have a you have a goal for this year though, right? 33 uh 33 times on stage for 33 years? 30 33 I I stepping into my Jesus year uh on 33rd uh February I'm not going to say the date just yet in case people are looking for my socials. Um but yes, we'll say happy birthday when it's time. But yes, Mike, big big I I don't I've probably been on stage total 33 times 
doing stand up period. So to do it all in one year is a is a is a big leap. But I think I'm ready. I've got enough positive comments on YouTube. I'm, I'm ready to do it. <laughs> I've been given I've been given this blessing by social media, so now I will take on the final boss of the video game, real life. Real humans. God, if the internet was preparation for human interaction, I would feel like going out in public would be so much more daunting. Like imagine if oh talking God. to people in public was somehow worse than being on the internet. It's it's just not because people are just just not as as bold uh in person but comedians are which always makes it a, a little bit uncomfortable i had a uh, an uncomfortable encounter with somebody that did stand up today they they said a lot of bad black jokes and they weren't and then afterwards they pulled me aside and was like hey i, I didn't do any of the black jokes cause i was scared of you and i was just like this isn't you don't you need to be outside a little bit more too Ooh, yeah, buddy, like that doesn't mean what you think it means. No, no. And I kind of I kind of threatened him. I was like, don't worry, I'll be back to hear him. You know what it's like, like a subtle enough threat to where it's not actually like, but it's also, <laughs> he definitely walked away from that interaction. I'd imagine a little more uncomfortable than he came. Yeah, he was like, I probably shouldn't have talked to that dude. Well, it's also, I mean, again, if you're going to say that, I can't imagine he has had too many interactions with people that look like you. Hey, based on a stand-up, he lost his virginity to a black woman, and he said he had to... I'm, I'm not going to get into oh, it. Oh, dear God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Unlike un- unlike that guy's stand-up set, we had a great show for you guys today. It is the yes. Divisional Round Preview Podcast here. As always, we appreciate anybody who downloads, subscribes, rates, reviews, leaves us a five-star rating and a review, and checks out the podcast on YouTube as well under the DraftKings YouTube channel and the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab here. Um, we are excited. We're going to take a look at all four divisional round games this weekend. Fewer and fewer games means it's easier to take a look at all of them coming up. We've also got a record-setting tenure at one university coming to an end, a five-star flip, and a record being set in its own right that actually has a playoff link. How's that for a tease? Brandon, in the meantime, uh, some quick NFL news and notes before we get there. Since we are in the season where a lot of decisions are being made about coaching tenures for teams that are no longer in the playoffs, we did have some big-time names uh, pop into the market. Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, your Baltimore Ravens, actually stepped down. Um, He had a meeting with John Harbaugh and the staff there and decided that it was time for him and the Ravens to part ways after his tenure there. Uh, He had spent four seasons in Baltimore. And obviously, Brandon, there was a lot of really good times for Greg Roman in their tenure. They became the only team to rush for 3,000 yards in a season and then did it in back-to-back seasons in both the years where Lamar Jackson was fully healthy. So there was all of that good, but we can go all the way back to I remember specifically the offseason when David Culley was hired by the Houston Texans a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and everyone said the Baltimore Ravens need to upgrade at passing game coordinator, which was David Culley's job, who left yes. for Houston. And it never really was replaced meaningfully and never really evolved meaningfully. And certainly you can point to injury at wide receiver and some of the misfortune they had there. Last couple of years when Lamar Jackson finished the year injured, but overall, Brandon, it just feels like, and I ask you as a Ravens fan, do you ever feel really like that part of their offense took the step forward that it needed to under Greg Roman? I don't know who to blame, but no. 
Uh, it, there's it's like a long list of variables because now that the rumblings about Lamar Jackson and his dedication are out there, I you can't I don't want to believe it because he can't be that talented and gifted without the work as well. And I I do think he puts in that work, but the wide receivers, Mike, like talk about Dak Prescott's receivers dropping balls. Lamar Jackson had so many drops for such a long time. And that's one of the reasons why I thought Hollywood Brown, it was easy to make that trade to get him up out of there. Cause he was one of the main people dropping balls from Lamar Jackson. So between the wide receivers dropping the ball and Lamar Jackson, not really being that comfortable and, and honestly, just not having a burner out there that can get behind the defense. I don't know who to blame, but yes, it's been stagnant and People forget about how many yards passing that Lamar was able to, to make up, especially in that in that 2019 career, and how many didn't he lead the lead the league yes. in in pass pass touchdowns? Or, yes, it was yeah. it was sensational. His MVP season, yes, they were as dynamic as any team out there, and certainly Lamar Jackson was a big part of that, but so was Greg Roman, and I saw RG3, who was in that quarterback room, said he might be the greatest run game, or one of the greatest run game tacticians I've ever been around, but even he even said, who had been under the hood there, that the passing game hadn't materialized in the ways it needed to, and that felt obvious to everyone involved, and Brandon, you're 100% right. As we look at a lot of these hirings and firings that have gone on here, it's always hard for us on the outside to fully be able to assign Blame or credit one way or another inside mm -hmm. a lot of these offenses. We can see with Lamar Jackson, especially in the Caesars where, seasons where, as we talk a lot about the injuries for him that ended his season, which it's worth noting since they always get brought up. And I saw the guys on the Dan Lebetard show bring this up the other day. Lamar Jackson's injuries get brought up. And I think a lot of that is a connotation about his style of play, right? Big time Absolutely. athlete gets out in the open field. Both of those season ending injuries took place in the pocket. One was on a hit that he couldn't see coming. The other was on a screen where he was backing up and a player landed on his ankle. So those yeah. were hits that every quarterback takes. And often we talk about the ones you can prepare yourself for the least inside the pocket yeah. because you've got less protection in there. And so I think that's just worth noting in its own regard in the conversation about Lamar Jackson and injury is those weren't him putting himself in harm's way on scrambles. Those weren't him putting himself in harm's way as a designed runner. Those were hits in the pocket that we pretty much every quarterback take and just seem to be more bad luck plays than anything yeah and that, that's why I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because if you watch the Ravens play when Lamar Jackson is behind center even when he is in the open field like making moves and, and scrambling <clears throat> Mike he it's like trying to tackle a fitted sheet like you can't get a you he, he knows how to fall better than most quarterbacks than you see so I I I'm glad you brought that up, but there is a little bit too, especially back in the day, how light he was. And that's why we're, we're yeah. all excited to how thick he got because he was getting his bones rattled on some of those hits because he just was a frail, a frail quarterback at that point in time. Yeah, certainly a part of that. And again, the end sum is still he missed time. And so I get some of that being a concern, but I think the how matters. But when he was on the field and the rest of that roster was depleted, we saw him be able to make extracurricular plays. The special plays that I think separate the upper level of quarterbacks in this league. Guys who can exist outside of the structure of the offense. And so this move is about showing, I think... Really, and you heard in the uh, press conference that they had here, Eric DaCosta, their GM, and some of their other front office, about this story. And a lot of this was also them talking about the status of Lamar's contract, saying, we want Lamar here long-term. Lamar wants to be a Raven long-term. We're willing to do everything in our power to make sure that that happens. Everyone wants to be here. They went and 
I thought very much too late, but came out and had Lamar's back and said he was injured for a player that dynamic with that kind of injury. Getting him back on the field would not have made sense there. Like They said all the right things in this setting, even if some of it was too late. And then this move indicates that, and I think you brought up John Harbaugh said that Lamar Jackson was going to be involved in the process of picking the next coordinator. These all sound like things you're trying to do to make the quarterback you want to be your franchise quarterback want to meet you at the table when it comes to negotiating a long-term deal here because they know they can play the franchise tag game, but that hardly ends up ever being a good situation for anybody involved with the feelings that that creates. And so this all does sound like them really extending the olive branch to their quarterback with some of the things they're doing move-wise. Yeah, I <clears throat> the same thing with the blame goes with the credit as well. And as long as that list of uh, receipts of what Greg Roman has done in his career when, with Alex Smith and the, and the AFC Championship and, and, and uh, Colin Kaepernick and all the things he's done in the past, I, I, I feel like Lamar may have been slighted a little bit in that as well. Like yeah. he is truly special. And at the time where he was succeeding, no one knew what to do with him. It's that part of the defensive scheme for the opposing team during halftime that I'm concerned with when the Ravens usually get locked up in the third quarter completely, like damn near zero points. And there's just something that they lean on when defending Lamar Jackson that that seems to work. And there's been far and few between times where I've seen Lamar Jackson and that offense go out there and win the game when they needed to. Yeah, I, I listen, ultimately, I just think with a player that special, you can't afford to let him walk out of the building. And even if you want to talk about getting assets back for him and things like that, it just ultimately seems like more trouble than it's worth for what you've already accomplished. Like, you got him at the back end of the first round. He wasn't even your first first-round pick that year. The other Don't guy doesn't play for it. your team anymore. So He's still playing in the playoffs, too, though. Yeah, he is. Hayden Hurst, proud Cincinnati Bengal. He got a helmet that matches the uh, drapes. Woo. Yeah, I had to be very I had to be very clear that I wasn't saying the carpet there. Hey, but speaking of that proud Gamecock. Yes, I can say go Cox. Um so that was a move that I think the way it came about, especially J.K. Dobbins, their running back being critical yeah. of the touches he got immediately after their postseason game. This wasn't just a Lamar Jackson and the passing game portion of this. This was now questions as year after year, the production kind of started to point the arrow down this year. I think they ended up 19th in points per game in the NFL. So this was one of those things where it doesn't make Greg Roman a bad coordinator overall. It just means at this juncture with where they're at resource-wise, it was time for them, especially with the way the defense has come along on the other side, to try and make sure they've got something that can really take the next step and go over the top. This may be, this may be me being a fanboy, but I think that Lamar Jackson could benefit from a Justin Herbert-style offense where he is really trying to, to find where to place the ball and and. and forcing that in at times and will you know deal with the interceptions which he's not he doesn't do a lot of them when he's not injured and then and then scrambling off of that like think about Joe Burrow when he uses his legs like there's something to the design run plays for the Ravens that Greg Roman has leaned on too much with Lamar that has made the entire offense worse I think it's made Lamar worse 
Yeah, I think anytime in the NFL you're too much of one thing, defenses in this league, to your point, and we saw that originally one of their first playoff runs, I think when they played the Chargers, and they put seven DBs on the yes. field, and they dropped back and dared them. Like, when you're too much of one thing especially in the postseason, it becomes really easy for these high-level defenses and the coordinators that live and breathe this to go ahead and stop that. So that'll be the charge to be as multifaceted as you pointed out the 2019 season was and try and build that into a more consistent portion of this. The other move that was made, Brandon, Byron Leftwich uh, fired among many changes made by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They fired Brian, uh, Byron Leftwich, who was their offensive coordinator and former quarterbacks coach. They also have uh, parted ways with specialist cross, uh Chris Bonial, wide receivers coach Kevin Garver, offensive quality control coach Jeff Castle, assistant D-line coach Lori Locust, and running backs coach Todd McNair, quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen, senior off- offensive analyst Rick Christoffel, and outside linebackers coach Bob Sanders uh, have decided to retire. So it's a total overhaul in Tampa, which does seem really interesting. One, I mean, this is probably Todd Bowles also a little bit worried about his job security going forward, right? A man who's gotten another opportunity at this head coaching thing in the NFL knows how precious that is, and let's call it for what it is, especially for minority candidates. And so one of the things that you do is show you're willing to make wholesale changes on this staff, especially when the offense is the easy scapegoat this year. You can point to, obviously, a lot of injury, but the production just was not there. And for a team that's probably trying to create its package to sell the Tom Brady to say, hey, if you want to come back, we're going to let you be a part of that process like they talked about with Lamar Jackson. We're going to make sure we do this to give you the absolute best opportunity to capitalize on what could be your last couple of years because now Tom's an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, I hope that Tom is putting his GM hat on a little bit and and putting his commentator Fox job to to the side and helping with this offense a little bit, Mike, but this tenure for Ty Bowles was supposed to take the stink out of our mouths and minds of his tenure as head coach with the Jets when, when Gino was out there and, and everything that happened there. And it did not. It, it reminded us of that, unfortunately. And I, like I said, talking about blame and who to divvy it out to, I don't know if him controlling all these variables is going to bode well for him in the same way that I am uncertain that Lamar Jackson choosing or helping handpick that offensive coordinator for the Ravens is going to bode well when it doesn't look good and it's 15 weeks into season into the next season you know yeah well and I don't think in any situation now Tom Brady would probably have a lot more control in a situation even though again unrestricted free agent so he's not someone that's under contract in the ways that you know if Lamar Jackson gets the franchise tag or if they sign him to an extension he would be but certainly Tom Brady at this point you could expect to have a little bit more sway in what might go on in any particular building but Todd Bowles, it's an interesting, it's an interesting case there because you're right. That was what we all expected. It's also a reminder that hey, like Todd Bowles came back down to uh, Tampa Bay as a defensive coordinator, and yeah. we all said, hey, like the Jets, like that's an organization where nobody has fun and very few people get to succeed. And Todd came back down and he did what he has always been great at: coordinating defense. Came down there and coached the hell out of these guys. Had them trending as a top five unit before Tom Brady got down to Tampa Bay. Got into the Super Bowl, exactly, and won it. <laughs> 
No, one, and we all saw that game on the backs of a defensive line that went out and feasted on the carcass of what was left of Kansas City's offensive line. So, uh, you know, incredibly important hire for this team at whatever juncture they're at right now because we talked about this with the Rams this offseason and the injuries they dealt with being too much to even get them close to the postseason there. Most of their pivotal players sidelined by the back half of the season, Stafford, Cooper uh, Cooper Cup, and Aaron Donald. But for Tampa, you had rampant injuries at key positions. You're on the cusp of potentially losing Tom Brady right now. And, you know, Chris Godwin was just coming off of injury this last year. Mike Evans and Tom Brady looked like they were on completely different pages for a lot of the years. So you do wonder if Tom Brady does choose to leave, what the cliff looks like for that organization, or do they become a destination for another free agent quarterback, you know, as we get ready to have the Derek Carr conversations. I saw his brother cryptically uh, tease this in like a podcast appearance that they're yeah. apparently a trade on the table for Derek that he's got to okay so ooh okay but well, I was just looking at this because it's so much of a of overhaul where they the Bucks drafted in the next round 19th which isn't terrible considering the quarterbacks that are out there and the talent that's in the, in this next draft like there's a possibility that they can just aggressively rebuild and we get reminded because I mean let's let's be real there was a time where the Bucks were very much irrelevant and in between those times they win a Super Bowl but I, I I don't know if Todd Bowles is the guy to rebuild this ship yeah or if this roster is going to be in a place to do it it's you know certainly an interesting mix it got younger in certain areas defensively Joe Tryon Shoyinka coming on as one of their better pass rushers here um, Devin White's not that old. Levante David, uh, you know, a little bit more. Antoine Winfield Jr. Jr. Though, yeah, like yeah. they have, they have younger. Yeah, they're talented, but they are, they are. It, it, it's it'll be interesting. But again, I'd imagine Plan A for them is always going to be get Tom Brady back in the building. You were a playoff team this year with all of the injuries that you suffered. Still managed to be productive in certain ways in that passing game, even if it wasn't consistent enough for anyone's liking. And the defense did perform, especially towards the end of the year, a lot better, especially up front. So yeah. I, I think you've got to take that wild swing there. And you know what quarter? We'll you know wait and see. We're, I'm not the one to do the list of coordinators. They might potentially go after here but uh Brandon speaking of trying to just match up quarterback to coordinator that they like worth noting on the back end that Bill O'Brien did interview for the Patriots offensive coordinator job because time is a flat circle and you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself go to Nick Saban school for wayward boys and come out on the other side but uh, what about the wayward boys that Bill Belichick's got over there including his son like not that they're not doing a great job well, his son's on the defensive side. Like, nobody on the defensive side really has to answer for shit after this season. Like, they can all, true. I'd imagine, That's walk true. into the offseason feeling very good about the job that they did on that side of the ball. Everyone's just looking sideways at the offense. And Bill O'Brien was there before because time is a flat circle. And also Coach Mac Jones at Alabama. So he checks a lot of the boxes that I'm sure Bill Belichick would enjoy in the comfort of his New England home. You know what? Bill O'Brien's nasty. You know what he's looking at? He think he can really, really uh, repeat history. He want to try to be a Texans head coach again. He knows he knows all crazy over there. 
He's like, you know, I got one year to be OC with the Patriots. Let's see if I can run this shit back with the Texans. I'm gonna call I, DeAndre Hopkins. I love the idea of Bill O'Brien just <laughs> existing in perpetuity in one giant yes. coaching circle where he just goes from New England to Houston to I think Bill O'Brien. He had to stop at Penn State before that somewhere on the circle too. Oh, so my. was he a quarterback coach for or one of the? No, he was the head coach at Penn State. What? Bill O'Brien, head coach at Penn State? When did that happen? Hold on before one Jane second. Franklin? Yeah, he was the head coach at Penn State before he got to Houston. He was there from 2012 to 2013. So he went, so he would, we would need James Franklin, who just the other offseason used the like potential interest from some of those open jobs to garner another contract extension and has done pretty well at Penn State this last year. Basically just lost to Michigan and Ohio State, which, you know, take a number and get in line on that one. So the the Bill O'Brien circle would have to be. New England, Penn State, Houston, and then Alabama, and to just keep Ooh. going circularly in that order. Honestly, the break in the chain would be how long, much longer Nick Saban keeps doing this, if you can get oh. back, or if it becomes Kirby Smart School for Wayward Boys at Georgia, and that just occupies the spot. When you say doing this, you mean taking back people or coaching in general? Coaching in general. Yeah. Yeah. Which, as I say that, we all saw what how David Pollock pissed him off saying it was George's league right now on that college football set at the national title. So here's to Nick Saban probably doing this forever and making us all hurt real, real bad. Uh, Brandon, growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research development and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust and it's great in convenience too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently just like any other routine health habit and Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine again with no refrigeration required. So trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. Let's get away from coaching news and get to the actual football getting played this weekend. Um, Very excited about these matchups coming up. The divisional round, awesome one. Still have four games spread out over the weekend. Not quite the three-day slate we had last Sunday that felt like a freaking eternity. A good eternity. One I will miss dearly, but an eternity nonetheless. Uh, So let's start off with Jags Chiefs. It's the Saturday 4.30 p.m. Eastern game. The Chiefs come into this one eight and a half point favorites with the over under set at fifty three, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. Brandon, 
This one, uh, no real weather expected. Some light rain maybe in the forecast here. The Jags coming off one of the best comebacks that we've ever seen in the wild card round. And the Chiefs, that first round bye that comes with being the one seed in the expanded playoffs. Ah, uh, Hey, heat versus rust, baby. It's the heat versus rust game. And you know what? Like every sign in the world in this one points to this being a Jags cover game. Like yes. the the Chiefs oh. his, the Chiefs historically as in this position have not fared really well. I think I saw this on uh, on ESPN.com here, and I'll give it to you like this: Since 2020, Kansas City is 12 and 18 against the spread as a favorite of seven or more points. Since 2006, one seeds are four nine and one against the spread in divisional games Ooh. where they're favored by more than a touchdown. Kansas City is one and four against the spread off a of bye, including the playoffs since 2020. And Jacksonville is five and one against the spread in their last six games. Like everything about this is screaming towards a Jags cover. And honestly, a lot of that made me want to zag at first before I remembered that this is just not a Chiefs team in this year that by and large blows people out. Yeah. Like that's not no. really been how they've operated this season. Even though Travis Kelsey has put up career numbers, and there's it seems to be a lot of people with the nose from the end for the end zone at this point in time, especially Patrick Mahomes. But it's something about that defense that's not stopping people that they used to be able to do a little bit more, Mike. But and to, worth I, noting, Kansas City did beat them by 10 in the regular season when they played. That was a 27-17 win for Kansas City. So this is a rematch, too. You're, you're talking about zigging and zagging, Mike, because I have we're, – we're going to get to our picks, but that Chiefs minus 8.5 is just way too attractive, especially against that Jag, especially with Trevor Lawrence being listed as questionable but uh, he's, right he, now. He's been dealing with that toe questionable designation for a while now, too, so I wouldn't read too, too much into that. He didn't have any uh, trouble moving around last week in that game, didn't take any demonstrable shots there that we can remember, so I'm not too worried about that. What do you mean? That toe led to four interceptions in the first half. I don't know if I'm gonna put on the toe. Like I don't know if that's like a plant. Are you going? Are you going like QB school plant mechanics here? Absolutely. I don't know where he was. Where he was grinding. I don't know if he was really pushing through and twisting uh, the hips. But yes, uh, I love the Jaguars right now. I really, really do. And it, it, with a lot of these picks, and we'll get to it. It's got to be. It's a lot of heart in it. It's a lot of heart in it because that's what I love about playoff football. Is like. It's, it's that individual matchup and that's game and the individual matchups in that individual matchup. Yeah, I am very curious to see um, a couple of things in this one. For the Jag side of things and where they could look to potentially get over on this, the Chiefs red zone defense, 31st in red zone efficiency. Not great. Oh, the Jags mm -hmm. are only uh, 20th in red zone touchdown percentage, though. And as we say all the time against a team like the Chiefs, can't be settling for field goals when you get down there. So can the Jags do that? And then defensively for Kansas City, we all know what Spags wants to do wants to heat people up. Like when push comes mm -hmm. to shoves, Steve Spagnola cannot help himself and wants to send pressure. And while the number one QBR against pressure in the NFL belongs to, or against the blitz in the NFL belongs to Patrick Mahomes, number six is Trevor Lawrence. Has not been bad. Yeah. So the Chiefs are ninth in snaps of blitzes in the NFL this season. And we know it. Like that's just Spag's identity. And we've seen it burn them. Like when they played the uh, Bengals last year at the end of the regular season, I believe. I don't think that was the playoff game. But the end of the regular season where he left them on an island with those guys one-on-one, -on -one, I just feel like that's one of the areas where Trevor Lawrence could certainly try and have some success. 
Will he though? Um, I, I think he, I think he will. Like I understand the turnover concerns coming off last week, but four turnovers, four interceptions and a half, five turnovers overall. That's an unsustainable to me. That's an aberration. Like there's regression to the mean that I think is going to happen. I think Doug Peterson and the metal that he brings into this as a coach with Super Bowl experience, let alone playoff experience, like Andy Reid on the other side. Like these are two guys, a lot of familiarity, a ton of respect between them. But Doug Peterson certainly going to have that group ready for that. The other thing I worry about on the other side is the Jags. One of the worst teams at defending the tight end in the NFL. You can go back and see that in the last few games here. And you're getting ready to go up against the tight end in the NFL and Travis Kelsey. And in general, a Chiefs team that's used a lot of multiple tight end sets this season has used more 13. I think I saw they've used more 13 personnel snaps this year. So three tight ends on the field, Mm -hmm. at least during the regular season, than they did in every other year of Mahomes' tenure as a starter in Kansas City combined. Like, they have totally, in a, in that way, remade a lot of this team after letting Tyreek Hill walk this offseason. I mean, they got a lot of body types. Uh, and they're, all the moves they made at wide receiver uh, this, this past year after having to get rid of Tyreek Hill, I mean, it's boded well for them. Like, I can – you say the 13 personnel, and I'm imagining uh, – is it McKinnon in the backfield who – yeah. Aubrey dropped that stat. He's got the most uh, – he broke the record for uh, pass receptions or touchdown receptions in a game uh, as a, consecutively. Like, they have a lot of weapons coming in and out of the backfield, but they always have because Patrick Mahomes does what, whatever with whoever. But I just – the Jags are – they're going to be a tough out. They're going to be a tough out, but I can't see – the Chiefs playing with their food too much, but that line is crazy, Mike, and, I, and I'm afraid of it now. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Jags plus eight and a half on this one. Again, I, I just I've gotten used to this Kansas City team winning closer, and I think coming off the bye, I, I, there's part of me that thinks Kansas City comes out and sets a tone, but I, I just think right now Jacksonville can stick with them, move the ball on offense. Kansas City is not as explosive as they've always been. They're certainly as productive, and there's a million of deep stats that let you know that offense has been great, but I'll go Jags plus 8.5 in that one. Let's go to the Saturday night game. Giants versus Eagles. Nice division matchup on the divisional weekend. 8-15 Eastern. Uh, Eagles minus 7.5 in this game, over under at 48 on this one. And Brandon, you want to talk about hot. Hotter than fish grease right now. The Giants coming off that win last week. Everyone's talking about Daniel Jones getting his shiny new contract. You've loved Saquon Barkley and his neck roll in here. Yes. How do you feel about the potential upset bit here? Oh, it's happening. Oh, you're going outright. I I would I would lock. I, I, I a lot of these I wanted to do money line just because it feels safer. But, yeah, I like the Giants in this game. And not to say that the Eagles will shit the bed, but this is the time where the better roster loses. And we have to make way is for Is it? That. Yes. Absolutely. Because guess what? Somebody gets banged up, and they, they're like, okay, uh, we're we accounting to use A.J. Brown this entire time. Uh, what the like, – like, I don't – Jalen Hurts, I haven't seen him play in too long. Maybe it's that 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 that's going on in my own head. Like I forgot just how effective he was, even though he was 
you know, not in the MVP conversation, but was leading the NFL in in touchdowns. Him and Josh Allen were kind of going back and forth all season long. But it's just it's been too long, and I don't know if he can just turn it on like that. I think he benefits from the reps. I think he benefits from the rest. I think this whole Eagles team was a poster child for just needing that extra week that they got being the one seed here. We talked about Lane Johnson dealing with the abdominal tear that kept him out late in the season. Certainly Jalen Hurts, who came back in week 18 uh, to make sure that they got the one seed. And on defense, you know, C.J. Gardner-Johnson had been banged up. I think Avante Maddox also. Like They needed plenty of guys who needed to go and get treatment and get off their legs a little bit and got the chance to do so. And And I just think, again, what we saw with the Giants last week was awesome. That was a closely contested game against a Minnesota team that we talked about all year long. In most areas of their roster was either average to below average on offense outside of Justin Jefferson or just flat out not good on defense. Ed Donatel, by the way, their defensive coordinator, also shown the door this last week. This Eagles team... Everywhere you look is better than that. And I understand defensively it hasn't always been perfect this year, especially rush defense, where they're still better statistically than the Giants on rush defense, by the way, and have gotten healthier as the season's gone along there. But even with all that, it's just in so many ways built like the Giants roster, but just with better talent, especially at the skill positions on offense. And I think that's where the biggest difference comes, right? Jalen Hurts, who's had a week to heal up, who they kept on especially a pitch count for rushing attempts in that Week 18 matchup, is probably going to be turned loose a little bit more and certainly can be at the helm of a passing offense that I think is going to be more than the Giants can handle. Well, the irony about the Giants is they're – traditionally small and pound for pound less talented than the the teams that they end up going out there and beating and that's why this has been a story it's not just Brian Dayball being a first-time head coach is that no one expected expected this roster to do what it's done and I don't think they're done doing that yet like I feel like the Eagles were we knew this was coming we knew this train was coming we knew this train was coming in Vegas when that AJ Brown uh trade went through and this is what we've seen all season long from him Devontae Smith the Heisman Trophy winner like yes the Eagles have been doing what they're supposed to be doing during the regular season but it's it's not that Nick Foles Doug Peterson like special story like all those defensive linemen that they picked up I mean they're struggling to stay on the field a lot of times like I I don't know if the answers are there for them where I, I think the Giants are as hot as fish grease and People should be afraid to play them. They should. I, I Listen, I think the Giants have earned a ton of respect through this season. We've talked about Brian Dable. We believe Daniel Jones is now going to be their quarterback of the future, or at least the near future here. Saquon Barkley going to be very interesting contractually for him this offseason also. Ooh, who gets more rushing yards, Jalen Hurts or Daniel Jones? Like that, I, like that, that, that wins the game for me, and I think Daniel Jones does because he's just a crazy mofo. Yeah, listen, and we talked to Ben Solak on this podcast, who obviously does a great job podcasting about the Eagles and breaking down film over at the Ringer. That's an Eagles defense that has times been masters of the obvious, right? Obvious run sets, putting five bodies up at the line of scrimmage, lightening up without that. They've gotten healthier in the middle um, as well with Jordan Davis getting back out there. But 
Brandon, I, I think on the other side, one of the areas I still have concern about is because, again, the Eagle or the Giants were getting whatever they wanted on the ground last week. They got all that stuff. The Eagles rush defense statistically better than the Giants rush defense. And then on third down, that's really where the matchup becomes because the Giants are 22nd on third down conversion in the NFL, and the Eagles lead the NFL with 32 sacks on third down this season, eight more Ooh. than the second-place team. They have been blitzing people pass you know rushing the passer all season long here and the giant I saw this that was interesting the Giants have more third and medium snaps than any or the second most third and medium snaps in the NFL so between four and six yards which is where you can start to turn the pass rushers loose a little bit especially towards that six yard range and the Giants still not great in converting at third and medium where they spend a lot of their time. So I, I still I think this Eagles pass rush has a chance to make this ugly. You got to get Daniel Jones on the ground, and we know that's a tough task. Big guy. Right. I'm going to take the Eagles to cover. I'm going to take the Eagles minus seven and a half on this one. I think it's late. I think the Giants, who have been cover kings all year long, like if you wanted to rock with them, 14 and four against the spread this season. Every reason to believe the Giants can do that, but I think this Eagles team that certainly was banged up down the stretch of the season, when we talk about rest versus rust, needed the rest more than most people and are going to come back out here, especially of Lane Johnson, who does not carry an injury designation going into this game, was a full participant in their last practice. If he's really healthy enough to go like that, and we'll wait and see, that's a huge difference maker on what's likely the best offensive line left in this postseason. But they got them players over there, giant like Dexter Lawrence is not to be messed with, Mike. And and we didn't mention the fact that these are like in division foes and rivalries. Like these teams know each other very well, and therefore they could like secretly have someone's number. Like there, there's just too much history right here for the. And it's a big game. It's an important game. Um, and damn, the NFC East looks good. I know it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting, man. We expect that one to be a knockdown drag out. I just think I think the Giants are at least a year away from being the best version of themselves. I think that's a next year conversation with that team as they start to get more, you know, get more in the cavalry on defense and add more to the skill position cabinet on offense, even though a lot of these guys that have come in and stepped up have done really well. Um, so you've got the Giants winning outright in that game. I've got the Eagles minus seven and a half in that game. So we are total opposites there. Very excited to watch this weekend. Um, Bengals at Bills, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern game. The Bills minus five and a half in this game. Uh, supposed to be temps in the low 30s. Um very little chance of precipitation, so none of the uh, fun theatrical snow stuff that people enjoy out of Buffalo coming out of there. Uh, Brandon, this one's interesting because the Bengals, a lot of people are looking at it and seeing the O-line stuff. Jonah Williams, uh, their left tackle who went down with an injury, a dislocated kneecap in their last game and look at that and say, all right, you were already down two starters on the right side of your offensive line in your right tackle and right guard. And now you've got this injury here. I'm still a little nervous because if anyone knows how to deal with that shit, it's Joe Burrow. Like yeah. the guy got hit more than anybody in the league last year. And they still went to the bleep and Super Bowl, played behind basically an offensive line that unfortunately was just not getting the job done at all and was still lethal. So it's not like I can count this guy out all of a sudden when this happens late in the game. We can talk about Josh Allen's turnovers, Mike, but that Bills defense looks porous recently. Like holes and they're getting ex exploited. And Joe Burrow is the perfect person to. Keep them on their heels, honestly. 
Yeah, listen, I think the Bills' defense, to their defense, <laughs> the defense's hey. defense. I think to stick up for the Bills' defense last week, so much of what went on was the result of Bills' turnovers on offense, right? Between the interceptions thrown and then Josh Allen, the fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Like, remember, when things really, you know, went haywire later on in that game, it was the backed-up pass from Skylar Thompson that the Bills' defense intercepted and put them in great position. Like, I think those guys stepped up. It is just going to be fascinating because part of the equation and conversation around Buffalo in the postseason was Von Miller. And I went back and looked. Since week 12, when Von Miller went down I be, um, in that game, I forget who it was against specifically, but since week 12, they're 23rd in the NFL in sacks and 24th in sacks per drop back. But they are still 8th in pass rush win rate, so they're beating their blocker in under 2.5 seconds. Usually those pressure statistics a little more indicative of how you're doing there. So if there's going to be a get-right game for this Bills defense, especially as pass rushers, this is going to be the one. And you know with Joe, you have to take him down. This cannot be a thing where you let him score him out of there because we've seen him make the miracle plays time and time again and overcome that whole O-line versus receiver meme that he was a part of around the draft. Yes, but when you mentioned the Giants being one year away, I thought about the Bengals last year. Right? Like, Yeah, but like they don't, they don't have the the compliment I think to go along with it right like you had a quarterback that was certainly playing great ball but the Bengals then had two incredible wide receivers who were stepping up T Higgins like you had that going on which you maybe you could say Saquon Barkley in what they've done in the backfield but I just don't know if that's enough in the modern NFL in that way uh, Mina Kimes is tweeting about the the DC over there the Bengals needs to get more credit yeah, I mean... Well, and that's the other part of this, Brandon, that I think about is what we saw with Buffalo, too, was the Miami Dolphins make a very decided effort, right? We're going to go and we're going to send pressure, make Josh uncomfortable, live and die with big plays, and see what happens. And it benefited them for a long time in that game. And Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, was a big part of the story of that team's playoff run last year. And I think with the guys you got up front, we saw Sam Hubbard make the big play last week, Trey Hendrickson, obviously a guy that's feared as a rusher, but DJ Reader up and down. We talked earlier in the season, one of the more underrated D-lines in the NFL. And so if they decide, hey, we're going to try and sell out and send pressure too and say, yeah, you know, listen, on the back we saw we've seen Eli Apple get burned plenty. And so that's definitely a concern against Stefan Diggs and the wide receiver core for the Buffalo Bills. But that might be how you have to play this Bills team. And so maybe early on we see them try and mimic that since Lou is a really capable D coordinator. Giants fans had a field day with that shit. Watching Eli Apple get burnt. Yes, they did. Yes, they yeah. did. Um, so, Brandon, I would say this. I think, but like, I believe Buffalo is going to win this game. However, Bengals plus five and a half. There's, just, I, I think it's just me buying into the Joe Burrow magic. Maybe we'll find its limits, and maybe the timing of these O line injuries being as late in the season as they are, and what he got used to. Because I think for a while during the season, we saw Joe get really comfortable in the pocket, be able to hang around in there a lot more, take the checkdowns that were there later in the play clock as things went along, because he was getting better protection as the season went along. Maybe if that cap sizes now, because they're not a great rushing team by any stretch of the imagination, maybe as that goes down we finally see that come to its limits I'm gonna go Bengals plus five and a half in this one eight no against the spread in their last eight games as an underdog here 
I think wow. they got another shot. Yeah. I I hear you, Mike, but I just feel like it's not only a tune-up game for the Bills. I feel like it's a get-right game for Josh Allen. And that offense that is like struggled to be like really consistent when they needed him. Cole Beasley still isn't vaccinated. Like I think they're dangerous over there. I, I'm expecting multiple touchdowns from at least one of their pass catching catchers, Knox or or Diggs and and Diggs when he gets passionate and and gets that offense fired up. I think they have been I think they're thirsty for a Super Bowl appearance and I don't think they're gonna they're gonna allow the Bengals to stop them. And I, I I think they're gonna I think they're gonna do it handily, at least one touchdown. So I, I like the Bills minus five and a half. I know we talk about the defensive strategy too. I wanna say the Bengals were one of the teams last year that also did what a lot of teams were doing against the Chiefs and the Bills, and that was just take away the deep stuff from them and force them to keep it underneath. And mm-hmm. we have seen at time we'll see if that's enough to frustrate Josh and these guys. I think as much as anything, this is a bet on the Bengals defensive side of the ball being able to kind of mimic that sort of performance. Um we know certainly last week was a bit of a rock fight also, and they came out on the other side of that one. So markedly different challenge. Uh, yeah. I'll go Bengals plus five and a half on that one. But even going in the weekend, I said that might have been my be- the upset play, but this is also one of those spots where I had the looming specter of that Chiefs and uh, Bucks Super Bowl in my mind where it's like, all right, I had a lot of blind faith in Patrick Mahomes in that game. I said, Oof. man, he that quarterback's Dude, good enough to overcome most things. And that amount of O-line injuries finally came up and caught up to them and was enough. And that's my that's my worry here. Mm. Oh yeah. I I'm after that game, I've been doing a lot more research and focusing on offensive lines going into Super Bowls or going in any of these playoff games, because that was egregious and yeah, like if you have a deficiency like that, then the, the defense that's in that same position against you is going to send everything that way. Oh man! All right, I'm gonna think on this one until we get to the end of the podcast here because really, we, yeah, it's I, it's got me shook, man. It's got me shook. Um, Cowboys at 49ers is the 6:30 Eastern game on Sunday. 49ers minus three and a half over under of 46. Temperatures mid 50s in this one. Brandon, this to me, this to me is the most comfortable I feel about a pick. I'm going 49ers minus three and a half in this game. I think. The Cowboys did everything they needed to do in that last game. Defense showed up big time. They were stubborn to a fault. Or not even to a fault. They were stubborn with the run. They are not a hyper-efficient run team, but they stuck with it. They kept hammering away at that. They made sure that it was a balanced game plan so you didn't have Dak airing it out, putting the ball in harm's way too many times. Dak played one of his best games, and that included as a runner using his legs. All great things. All things that I do not think work nearly as well against this 49ers defense. Because they're just great pretty much everywhere. Like, Okay, because the line on DraftKings Sportsbook has moved to four, do you want to change that pick? Um, Does I mean, that half point make a difference? Listen, I got it at three and a half. I'll go with the honor system of what it is at the time that we're making these picks. Okay. And I'll say, yes, I will still take the 49ers minus four in this game. I don't know. I like. I just think too when you look at the calling card for this Dallas team is defense, right? As great as yeah. Dak played in that last game, and certainly that's going to have to be a huge part of it again, hitting all those weapons if they want to win this one. I think in the last game it was the Cowboys' defense just completely unearthing Tom Brady, frustrating him in every turn, living in the backfield, batting balls down. Yeah. It felt like Micah Parsons was all over him. 
if there is any coordinator on earth I trust to go out and try and frustrate Micah Parsons and make sure he is never getting clean looks at the quarterback and that things are constantly moving east and west and he's always got to be worried about where the next chip or hit is coming from or which of these guys in the backfield could be getting the ball and going in the opposite direction, it's Kyle Shanahan and it's the weapons on that offense. Yeah, but on the other side of that, if there's one defensive coordinator who is laser focused on making a mystery relevant quarterback who's really feeling himself second guess just how ready he is from the NFL. I feel like it's Dan Quinn, especially with those weapons that he has over there on defense. I just feel like he can make Brock Purdy see things that aren't there and they can capitalize on him in in a lot of ways with that Cowboys defense. And also, what was the, what was the stat? I it was on um Dan Lebertard. It was Tom Brady's entire career plus Carson Wentz's entire career combined the last time the Cowboys had a road playoff win. The fact that this happened, I'm not talking, I'm not going to just say the Bucs are, are trash and that's why they were able to make that happen. The Cowboys look different. And I'm not giving the credit to Mike McCarthy, uh, Kellen Moore, and his poor face, but this seems like the team is ready. And honestly, I might just say Tony Pollard is the reason. The same way I'm like just so gung ho in the Giants because I see a shiny running back in the playoffs like Saquon Barkley. Like Tony Pollard, backed up by Ezekiel Elliott, is dangerous enough for me to pick them against a lot of teams. But I know the 49ers on defense is the problem, but still. I think it is interesting to think about Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan, who know each other incredibly well from their time in Atlanta. I mean... Oh yeah, yeah. I those are two. Those are two guys that have squared off in practice plenty. Now Dan Quinn was the head coach at that point, and Kyle was the offensive coordinator for that Super Bowl run. But now, now I'm thinking about Kellen Moore versus uh, was it Demarcus Ware? Not Demarcus Ware. I'm sorry, D'Amico Ryan. Yeah, like that. Oh my gosh, that's racist. Um, they kind of look the same. Uh, but Brandon Newman said that, that not Michael Lick Jr. <laughs> Between that matchup, Mike, you gotta go. You gotta go with the 49ers. Yes. Oh, abs- absolutely. D'Amico Ryan's, who speaking of Ben Solak, we talked about, wrote a phenomenal piece on D'Amico Ryan's and all of the people that have been a part of his football career who have basically said, I think it was Chip Kelly's, like, I won't be surprised when D'Amico Ryan's is president one day. He has been on the fast track to where he's going as a head coach this next season since the beginning of his football career. It sounds like. And as smart as he's been all season, the fact that he, and correct me if I'm wrong, decided not to take any interview with the Colts, like for the Colts head job, is that? Did you see that? Uh, I did not see that. No. Did you I see mean, him? It would be it would be smart for him to not go and hitch his wagon to the Colts right now because he's going to have, I think, much better opportunities than that because he's D'Amico Bleeper Oh. Ryan's. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the Colts. It was the it was the Texans. It was oh, the other. Yeah, no. It was the Texans job. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, He's like, uh, I'm not gonna go. You see what you guys do with those blackhead coaches? Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, hard pass on that one. I'm not gonna deal with that dumpster fire. Uh, so smart, uh, smart move by him. Uh, yes, and I think. Um, one, I saw this stat on ESPN.com with Brock Purdy on the field. San Francisco averages .19 expected points added per play. So every play, you know, how much that goes towards scoring. 
Yeah. The Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes average .18. Like, that's how good the offense has been since Brock Purdy took over with him. And we know, we've talked about it, it's a complicated process that gets us to oh. that point, but they have been incredibly productive. And the Cowboys' defense, while they do defend tight ends very well statistically, they give up a lot of yards to wide receivers and running backs. 24th in the league in yards per attempt to running backs, 21st in net yards per attempt to uh, to wide receivers. This ain't the team, especially this year, now that Brandon Ayuk's come online too, along yeah. with Debo Samuel and that dude Christian McCaffrey. That ain't where you want to be when Jesus comes back, playing defense like that against those positions. Like We know on the other side, the non-Trevon Diggs versions of the Dallas Cowboys secondary can be had, and this is an offense that certainly is going to take those opportunities in droves. Yeah, I think I may be uh, being too commercialism or, or I, may, I may be drinking the Cowboys Kool-Aid too much. Like the 49ers are a better football team, regardless of how hot the Cowboys looked against Tom Brady. Yeah, maybe this is a Tom Brady effect thing. Get the 49ers. I got to Yeah, I got I got to switch that. I got to I had the Cowboys plus 4, and that's where my heart is, but ain't no way. Ain't no way they beat the 49ers. Ain't no telling, Brandon. No, I'm telling you, ain't no way they beat the 49ers. No, I'm with you on that one. I'm I am I am firmly in 49ers minus three and a half or minus four uh, now on there. It just it's such a complete team right now. It might be the the most complete team in football, especially if Brock Purdy can keep playing like this. And we know he's a rookie. He's the last pick in the draft. He's all these things that he's been, but he's played a lot of football already this season. And you and I always remember there was that point like seven games into every college season where the coach would say, hey, if you've been playing all this time, you're not a freshman anymore. Like we expect you to show up and play. And for rookies, we hear about the rookie wall and stuff all the time like that. But at this point, Brock Purdy, who came out last game, didn't start great, finished pretty strong. That says something about a young player coming into his first postseason start like that, too. I, I can't bet against this 49ers team right now, and I won't. That win streak, that win streak has to stop some at some point. It's not going to go to the Super Bowl. So I, with that, I am going to go back immediately. We're Cowboys plus four, baby. Wow, Cowboys plus four. All right. So you waffled on that one a little bit. I waffled on the Bengals and Bills pick uh, going into this weekend. I'm I'm still so torn just because of how close the Skylar Thompson-led Miami Dolphins were able to yeah. take this thing. And I understand like part of that's a Mike McDaniel conversation also. Mm-hmm. So you know what? I'll stick with Bengals plus five and a half. And if I get burned again on this one, I have no one to blame but myself because I told myself I would learn from that Kansas City football. I told myself yeah. that offensive lines would matter to me and should matter to me. And damn it, this – oof. I, I, I'm – I, I will say this. We got the quarterbacks. We got the quarterbacks. We got the numbers. Like, this is an exciting, and I know quarterbacks don't play each other, but th- as terrible as defenses have traditionally been in the NFL recently or as of late, this shit's going to be fun. It is. It's going to be It's gonna be really fun. It's going to be really fun, Brandon. <laughs> that filibustering didn't help you get to the answer quicker? No, it didn't. Um... <laughs> you already said it. 
I know. I know. I need to stick with it. I'm going to stick with it now. Like the Bengals, yeah, we got to. I'm going to stick with it now. Again, I'm not going to. I'm not going to feel good about it, but I'm going to do it. So, uh, to recap, uh, going through the picks for the weekend before we get to this, that, and the third, I got Jags plus eight and a half. I got Eagles minus seven and a half. I got Bengals plus five and a half, and I got 49ers minus three and a half. So I got two underdogs and two uh, favorites going into the weekend. Brandon, what are yours again? I got a. I had Chiefs minus eight and a half, but I'm not doing it anymore. Thank you, thank you for asking, so I can switch it. Jags plus eight and a half, Giants money line, Bills minus five and a half, Cowboys plus four. All right, that's right. 49ers minus four. I'll go by. I'll yeah. go by the honor system there. Uh, but I believe yes, it yes. to my core here. Uh, reminder for the season: Brandon Newman, uh, new me, new picks, fifteen and fourteen on the year. So winning record over on Brandon's side there. Hey. That's what he's got. Me, yep. 55, 62, and 4. Not nearly as cute. Ooh. Wild card weekend ended up going 3 and 3. So we have picks. we have not been below 500 on my side, I will say, since week 11. So not nothing. Hey. Not okay. nothing, but not talking something. About, talking about people heating up. Early season hole. Early season hole. Okay. We've been better as of late. We'll see if we can keep it going. Brandon, sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. We'll see if we can land the plane on this side and get ready for divisional weekend uh, by asking the important question on everybody's mind. Do you know what time it is? Yeah, Mike, I know what time it is. And I've had a good week. But y'all know I like to mess things up. I've been roaming around, always looking down at all I see. Painted faces Feel the places I can't reach You know that I could this, that, and the You know that I could this, that, and the Someone like you with all you know and how you speak Countless lovers undercovers of the street you know that I could this, that, and the You know that I could this, that, and the This, that, and the third It went on so long It just kept going this, I don't I don't know the pauses in that song. I know it's hard, especially without the karaoke to tell you when it's doing the bar. 
it's just a lot of output effort there. You had to muster up a lot of wind strength, and for that alone, I respect it. Uh, if you respect it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Tell Brandon what a great job he continues to do on this, that, and the third. By the way, Brandon, you gave me time to reconsider it even more. I'm taking the Bills minus five and a half. <laughs> not. Yeah. Brandon, I can't do it. At some point, being down three starting offensive linemen has to mean something. It has to matter. And I think they're going to be down all three with Jonah Williams, Alex Kappa, Lil Collins. You can't win a playoff football game at this round like that. You just can't do it. I can't believe it's possible. I cannot deny the fat blood in my veins. I'm switching my pick before we start this, that, and third. Well, Mike, I, I, am, I, have, a, I have one rule. I can't, I can't, we can't be same picked it. So I'm going Bengals plus five and a half now. There you go. Listen, I will, Brandon, assuredly be wrong, but I can sleep better at night knowing I stuck to my morals and that the promise I made to myself after that Super Bowl is a promise I kept, and that matters a lot more to me than winning this money, which is dumb, and it shouldn't, but it does, so it will. I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bet on the Queen City, the closest city in this whole thing to Louisville, Kentucky. I, I, I'll call it a home, hometown pick. How about that? There we go. Perfect. Both of us going with our guts on this one, literally and metaphorically. <laughs> uh, Brandon, let's get to this, and uh, let's stick with the hometown flavor for the two of us here. It was announced yesterday. Uh, by the university, the Notre Dame head men's basketball coach Mike Bray will be stepping down after the 2022-23 season. Mike Bray, who took over in the year 2000, Y2K Mike Bray, has compiled 481 victories at Notre Dame. That includes, during his time there, a run in the NCAA, uh, runs in the NCAA tournament that have improved, Produced some impressive result. He made the tournament 13 times, had 15 victories in the tournament, was the only school in the nation to earn back-to-back Elite Eight runs in 2015-2016. Shout out to Jerry and Grant and Pat Connaughton. Uh, studs oh, leading yeah. that squad. What a fun time that was. But uh, Brandon, Maui Mike Bray, the often shirtless wonder at the Maui Invitational, going to be stepping down, man. He's been one of the fixtures at Notre Dame for as long as we can remember. And while the men's basketball program has never really matched the heights of the women's basketball program in South Bend and what they've done, it's produced some fun along the way. Obviously, last season was an awesome year. Notre Dame's first, you know, lot, you know, one-and-done player in school history. Lots to be mm-hmm. proud of. Uh, I hope Mike Bray gets his flowers on the way out uh, because you know that's been one of the fixtures there in my Notre Dame fandom lifetime, and it'll be uh, very weird to see somebody else at the helm for a while. That school who really, when you think of the men's basketball coaches, it's Digger Phelps and Mike Bray are the two names that rise to the top that people are going to talk about. And there hasn't been really a lot of turnover with basketball coaches at Notre Dame, period. No. Uh, obviously, Muffet McGraw coming. This is one of her first uh, seasons uh, not at the helm uh, for the women's side. So I'm interested in what he does afterwards because Digger made it such a uh, staple uh, around Notre Dame that he, there's a there's big shoes to fill as a former uh, in, uh, head coach, head basketball coach at Notre Dame. Remember Digger would just run around the dining halls and just like be in all of our ears and spitting in our food, just trying to like dude telling us to go to the Syracuse game. Digger's still always walking around the lakes at Notre Dame. You see him at the Martin Side Door Deli near campus all the time. Obviously, he was a commentator for a long time on ESPN. Used to always match the highlighter with the tie and stuff. But yeah, yes. he's a stout. He's a South Bend staple, kind of like Tony Rice around there. Oh man, legend! Yeah, legend. And Chris Orch. 
So yeah, sh- congratulations to Mike Bray. Uh, we will always have those shirtless pictures of him at the Maui Invitational. Brandon, uh, let's get to that. Um, but by the way, actually, I should say this before we uh, before we do depart the Mike Bray thing because I just remembered this, and Mike Bray reminded me of this. Um, this last summer, Jordan Cornette, who has a charity golf tournament every year, um, yes. in honor of his late brother. Had a lot of the Notre Dame basketball alums. Jordan, a proud Notre Dame Hoops alum under Mike Bray. And Mike Bray came out there and reminded me of a story. So when I was a kid at Notre Dame, one se- one year, I used to always go to the Notre Dame football camps as like a middle schooler. And one year I was like, oh, I'll double up and I'll go to the Notre Dame football and basketball camps. And as Mike Bray reminded me after my one stint at basketball camp, he said, Mike, you going over the football camp? And he was, I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, all right, make sure you stick with that. And as he reminded me of this last summer, it was great advice, and it worked out very well for the both of us. Oh, my. Was your feet that bad at that point in time? Like, what was going on? What do you think? Everything was that bad. Everything was that bad? Yeah. Everything was that bad? Okay. Okay. So. Well, good advice. Coaching up everybody. Yes. Look at them. Exactly. Sometimes the best the best advice is knowing what you're not. And Mike Bray gave mm. me that advice very early on in life. Uh, so happy, tra- Lane. happy trails to him. Um, <laughs> let's get to that, Brandon. Um, Deion Sanders, who we talked about, his coaching staff making the rounds with viral internet videos, made yes. the rounds doing what we saw him do at Jackson State, getting big-time recruits to do their thing. He flipped five-star cornerback Kermani McLean from Miami on Thursday, giving him the first five-star commit as the Buffalo's head coach. McLean is the number four prospect in the ESPN class and is the highest-ranked recruit Colorado's brought in since ESPN began ranking players in 2006. Stop. He, I thought he was going to say since Joe Clatt. No, no. <laughs> Cordell Stewart. <laughs> it seems like that at this point. Uh, McLean was supposed to sign in the early period in December, but then abruptly decided to wait once Sanders got hired by Colorado. And so big time, we remember wow. he uh, flipped that big time commit from Florida State when he was at Jackson State already. So yep. the Deion Sanders effect, while a lot of it people look at as pomp and circumstance, already proving beneficial in the ways that Colorado's going to need if they want to overcome what is a daunting schedule for them. Did you see that come out, by the way? I I was going to bring it up because I was going to say it probably is more attractive than Notre Dame's schedule next next season. Colorado's schedule opening up at at TCU, then at home versus Nebraska – at home versus Colorado State, on the road at Autzen to play Oregon, at home against USC, on the road against ASU, Stanford, uh, at home against Stanford, and then at UCLA after the bye, Oregon State, Arizona, Washington State, Ooh. on the road at Utah to end the season. Oh. The defending Pac-12 champion Utah Utes. That is a meat grinder of a schedule for year one in Dion. Yeah, we're gonna see his. We're gonna be seeing him coach. Yeah, let's put it this way: if you can make a splash in that schedule, I mean, hell, if you can win four or five games on that schedule, you have been if wildly go, successful. Yeah, if if Colorado and this is a tall order, and I don't think anyone should expect this year one, but if he gets the Buffaloes to go bowling, oh, if if he gets them to go bowling, the Bahama Bowls, even if he gets them to go bowling, coach of the year, right? I mean, without fail. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So, we'll get ready and watch, but already paying dividends early on in the early going here. Brandon, let's finish up with an important story. Uh, To finish the day, uh, this courtesy of... Now this is news on Twitter. Pizza Hut is attempting to break a world record for the world's largest pizza. The pie, which is currently being built inside the Los Angeles Convention Center, which I will now be visiting upon my return home, will be 14,000 square feet and contain 13,000 pounds of dough, 4,900 pounds of sauce, 8,800 pounds of cheese, and serves 68,000 slices in total. Now, Brandon, Pizza Hut president Dave Graves also said none of this is going to waste. We're going to donate to, uh, to some of the, it to some of the local food banks here in the Los Angeles County, so we're very excited about that. No. Oh, okay. Yes, that's good. That's good, Mike. As someone who swore off free pizza at work in 2017... That sounds gross, but I respect it, and I, I hope I hope everyone enjoys. And as also someone who is on, and I haven't mentioned this yet, Mike, you know we've been going through it. I've been talking to you about it. You you alluded to it before saying I was hungry on the podcast before. Someone who is on day 11 of, of a fast that allows me to have little to none of those things that you mentioned. Oh, it's hard to hear. Yeah, this is, deep, hard to hear. This is deeply personal. T- totally understand that. I could see why yeah. that hurts. Uh, I will not tell you if I can break into the Los Angeles Convention Center and die <laughs> eating my way through that pizza, which would be the best way I could possibly go out. Speaking of that, our food tour in AZ is going to be, uh, we have to make sure it's well documented, but we, we almost need a, a, a nice map because I look forward to eating in a lot of delicious places with you come Super Bowl week. Yes, uh, we will definitely have that one on lockdown. Uh, at Gojo Show on Twitter, by the way, if there's anything that you would like to see from Super Bowl week that we can do for you guys in the coverage yes. there, make sure you hit us in the Twitter mentions. By the way, I feel like this will be very exciting news uh, on the pizza front for two coaches playing this weekend. Did you see the Nick Sirianni press conference yes. where he said that while they were watching the Giants-Vikings game play out, they ordered Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza because he hadn't had it in a while and everyone lost their shit. And they asked Brian Dable about it, who, hero, thick king of ours around here. Uh, Pat Leonard uh, at the New York Daily News asked Brian Dable if he likes stuffed crust pizza. He had no idea what I was talking about until I explained the Nick Sirianni comment. Dable then pointed to his stomach and said, I mean... Hey. That man will have my sword and shield for a long time, Brandon. He gets it. He's one of us. Yeah, he he, sure, he certainly is. And the way he dances lets me know he's one of us as well. But you got to let the belly speak for itself. But I will say my hometown, unfortunate, racist, uh, Papa John, uh, alleged, 
Um, the epic stuffed crust with the pepperoni in the crust, Mike. That's a ride, bro. Brent, it's a ride. Have you seen pepperoni and cheese? Have you seen the new Pizza Hut triple threat box? What they do with that? Now we love it. We love a Pizza Hut box. Definitely a, a wild night. But what's in there? Pizza Hut triple uh, uh, triple treat box: two medium, one topping pizzas, five breadsticks, and ten Cinnabon mini rolls. Okay, I got to see how many of the mini rolls are, but that does sound like uh, so carb loading. This is what I want to propose here, and I've got dibs on this right now. If any of you big networks steal this, I swear to God, I will find a way to come <laughs> after you for internet inter, uh, intellectual property theft. Okay. Off-season sit-down interview. Me, Dable, Sirianni, NFC East talk, Pizza Hut triple threat box. Three guys in a room, cutting it off. Talking about gritty quarterback read play fucking football. Listen, I don't think you need much more to sell that one. No, exactly. So we're going to figure this out again. If I, mm, God, if I see Tom Rinaldi do this offseason, I swear. And I love Tom <laughs> Rinaldi. And he would do a much better job with this than me, except for the eating pizza part. I love you, Tom. Oh, but please man. don't make me, don't make me upset here. Um, if you support that idea, by the way, and you've listened this far, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Remember that I picked the Bills minus five and a half after all that waffling. If you learn nothing else on this podcast, and always make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Thank you so much. Enjoy the divisional round this weekend. We'll talk to you guys next week. Boom. Money in the bank. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.